uh, I, I think about you know a, a brand like Budweiser Magnum, where we decided many years ago that strong beers in India that overrepresent mild beers uh, can never be a, a segment which would want premium offerings. So all strong beers in India were what we call core priced. Uh, at that time, it would have been silly to think about a brand that will enter a plus five percent ABV category, but position it itself as a premium beer, which is what Budweiser Magnum got positioned. Uh, to today, Budweiser Magnum is one of the best success stories we have in India. So, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this special episode of I Wish My Boss Told Me That. We have a special episode today where we're going to talk about the beer business. Very interesting business, very exciting business. And who better to talk to than our own Kartika Sharma. He is our president for India and Southeast Asia. Uh, and he's been with the company already for several years, so has a lot of experience in the business, has a lot of experience also in the India and uh, the Asia business. So really glad to have you here on board, uh, Kartik. Welcome. Likewise, Serge, and thanks for having me. I know we've been speaking about this for a while. Unfortunately, it took a bit of time to finally get here because of the, the unfortunate surge of COVID, but very happy to be finally participating in this award-winning show uh, <laughs> yeah, was conceptualized a few years ago and I'm, I'm glad uh, we're finally uh, you know in a position to exchange some views as well yeah yeah no great to have you on board you know, maybe tell mm. us something about uh, your studies at the time and how did you end up in the beer business mm. well yeah so it, it takes me back in time but uh, uh, what, what I'll maybe do today is step back a little more uh, beyond just AB InBev and and start uh, maybe more in, uh, you know, the period when I was still uh, studying in, in college. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm an economics grad, uh, very passionate about uh, all things, numbers and patterns and trends uh, uh, and human psychology. More on that later, but that's sort of uh, the seeds of, uh, you know, curiosity around consumers and uh, mm. the way brands are built with consumers sort of was... Uh, was seeded. Uh, but what really, uh, you know, I became quite passionate about during my uh, time in, in college uh, was when I joined an organization called ISEC. Uh, it's, it's a very large uh, youth-run organization that uh, focuses on developing youth uh, leadership capability, uh, primarily through the device of international understanding through exchange programs. Uh, and I, I joined ISEC as a volunteer, then I became full-time with them after my college days. And uh, I, I thought of my career as being one which was anchored in this idea of uh, wanting to change the world. We used to call ourselves change agents. Uh, as things uh, stood at the time I was finishing my tenure as president of ISEC India, uh, was an opportunity from back in the day. Interbrew, which had just become InBev, the combination of AMBEV, uh, we also had Cadbury Schweppes as one of our partners. So there were opportunities across some of our global partners as, as ISEC had these companies. My recruiting manager back then was BK Thurlink in Leuven, uh, which is where I interviewed. Funny story, got late to the interview because I went to Louvain instead of Leuven. Oh, uh, I thought it was the same thing. 
I got there and I asked for InBev's office, and they said, "No, no, you're a little, a little far away." And uh, my cell phone, etc., while traveling internationally, was not primed to make crisis calls. So I got late to my interview. Uh, but B.K. Thurlink was uh, was very kind. She still spoke to me because I said I've kind of flown from India, you know. So I think thirty minutes <laughs> can be factored into uh, into the 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 delay at my end. Uh, I didn't I didn't have a hope in hell that uh, I'll get the role I interviewed for, uh, which is to join. Uh, InBev because of that delay, but as things would, would turn out, uh, you know, I got the call and I was part of a group of trainees, uh, very, uh, very, very fascinating group, uh, about nine people representing nine different countries. All of us started in different functions. I started in the people function. Uh, and of course, from there, you know, joined uh, other functions, ultimately finding my calling in all things commercial. Uh, so we used to have a group called AB InBev International, uh, which back in the day used to be called International Market Development. Uh, and, and the entire career has been one large adventure, taking me from one market to another. Always very passionate about going to markets where we don't have fully developed businesses because I'm quite fond of building things. Uh, and that opportunity has been one that I've got in AB InBev in a big way. So it's been an exciting career, uh, which has finally culminated in this role that I've had for the last year and a half. Uh, which is to run my own business uh, and shape its uh, shape its future, along with a very talented group of people uh, that we have managed to attract uh, and now have as our core sort of group out here in mm. in the business. So it's been yeah. a it's been an adventure over the last sixteen years, but one where I think uh, our company and its purpose in particular uh, has been the biggest calling. This very large higher order idea we have, which is to bring people together. I don't think, Serge, it's been more relevant than it is right now with COVID. Uh, and I think what our sustainability 100 plus agenda has done is given it an extra layer uh, of uh, being able to drive engagement, uh, not just with our own people within the company, but also external stakeholders in a manner that really gives us longevity versus a lot of other companies, because we've outlined this idea that we're not gonna bring people together in a world which is not gonna be around. And I think uh, us as a corporate citizen deciding to play that role has made the company uh, the one that you fall in love with all over again. So yep. it's been yep. one happy marriage so far. All right. Wow. And then you started off in people, if I understood correctly. No? So That's right. economist uh, starting off in, in people. Was that the, the type of role that you, you were targeting or you were most interested in at the time? Or was it more like a coincidence that you ended up in people? No, it was very much by design. Uh, being in an organization that was all about people and developing leadership in young people, which is what ISEC was. I was part of that organization for seven years, uh, which was a fairly long time, three during my oh. college years and four years after. And so I, I was very passionate about working in the people function with the idea that I'd like to be part of a, a group uh, that unlocks human potential. Uh, what... Uh, what transpired with the opportunity I had with that traineeship was also an opportunity to experience many other functions. And I suppose as in when I started to get deeper and deeper into all things commercial, I also got very passionate about my other love, which was consumers, interacting with customers, being out there, uh, representing our company, selling our products. Uh, and as things turned out, I never really got an opportunity to come back to the people function per se. Uh, but I think you and I can both agree uh, the idea of unlocking human potential 
isn't something you only do when you're in the people function. I think that maturity no. came along the way. No. No, that's it. And as, as a business manager, in the end, you're responsible as well for the whole people agenda no? because you're mm-hmm. responsible to attract the top talent, to make sure that talent develops, to create a pipeline for mm-hmm. your business, obviously. Right? So, and I see you also spend a lot of time with our campus hires whenever we go to campus. Mm. Uh, and we have people interning with us or we have new FTs starting. I see you also involved. Do you see any difference there? I'm, I'm curious to understand for sure because you worked for ISEC. Uh, the way that you started and the ambitions that you had at that moment in time, did, did they evolve when you talk to campus hires that we recruit at the moment? Yeah, I think in, in, in a manner that's uh, very difficult to put in words. Uh, that's been the quantum of, of change I've seen. Uh, and, and I'm kind of juxtapositioning my own time as a as as a new sort of hire compared to the kind of talent we bring in now. Uh, people are a lot more smarter, uh, a lot more, I, I think, clearer about what they want in their mm. in their lives. Where this job fits into that larger scheme of things, uh, I think, is a remarkable amount of clarity. Uh, you know, the kind of hires we attract, in particular. Uh, display, uh, very focused. They know what they want. Uh, and uh, I, I think they don't settle for what's been dished out to them. You know, we, we took what was given to us for what it was. Uh, and uh, what I see as the big difference now is that people just don't accept, uh, no. you know, what, what is being offered. And by that, I mean the company, what it stands for. And I see that as a massive plus uh, with this particular generation of talents we've been uh, you know, attracting and, and bringing into our organization, they really are active participants in continuing to shape the future of the company. Uh, they voice their opinions uh, without the fear of judgment or retribution. And that's in part because of the culture we are. We invite people to be very open and challenge us, but respectfully. And we create that environment in which people can you know, bring their most authentic selves, make their views very clear, uh, and I, I, I do believe these are all significant, significant positives that the current generation of talents bring to organizations. If there is one maybe difference, which I'm not entirely sure, I can't quite put my finger if it's a positive or a negative, is there's more homogeneity or similarity between groups of people today than they were in the past. I think groups of people in the past were more heterogeneous or different. I would mm-hmm. have a view be a little different from my peer or someone else. Uh, today, there's a little mm. more of that similarity. And like I said, I'm not too sure if it's a good or a bad thing, but I do know what it tends to do at times is if there's one person who's a little impatient, I, I think it tends to sort of wrap that whole cohort in that same lens of impatience. In, in whichever way, you and I and many other leaders who owe it to the people that we bring into the organization is somehow to impress upon them this idea that ultimately it's a, it's, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, you know, you, you got to pace your own career based on uh, what makes you most comfortable with who you are and how you think you can grow, develop life and ultimately be okay with the choices you've made as opposed to live it on someone else's terms by always looking over your shoulder and seeing yeah. what the other person is doing which sometimes derails high potential talents uh, because they kind of follow somebody else's script and not their own. Uh, That probably is the only thing I would find as a little bit of a, in our words, gap to close 
in in maybe what i see in the current generation but overall i would no. say it's not even a contest the, the the difference between the talent today and and what i may have brought to the table many years ago uh, no very right i think the the campus hires are a lot more vocal than than uh, us for sure which helps us as well to adopt or to adapt the company and the organization much more to you know the the younger generations mm-hmm. uh, and also to the consumer in the end you know, because a lot of those uh, people are are our consumers so we need to understand as well better uh, and i think you're right in terms of the peer pressure you know the peer pressure mm-hmm. i think is is a lot higher than than i see when i also started probably because people are much more connected as well i wasn't that connected with, you know, my, LinkedIn, uh, yeah, also, yeah. but LinkedIn is also a curse when you think it's about it. did that yeah. guy get another promotion again? <laughs> but he might still LinkedIn. be doing the same job. No, he might have a promotion, might have another designation. But, but the designations are getting sexier, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think that doesn't help because I see a lot of campus yeah. hires indeed under a lot of stress because they have to achieve, achieve because somebody yeah. else apparently seems to be going faster. So I think that's that's yeah. a bit of a risk, as you said. Uh, and yeah. if you look at it, no. If if you look at, at us, if you look at myself, I'm kind of halfway of my career. No, so it's it's mm. after 20 years. So it is yeah. not a sprint. It is yeah. a marathon, right? So yeah. you see a lot of people being very ambitious in the first couple of years, but I, I would say try to learn as much as possible. Mm. And I think that's what yeah. I find interesting also about your career path is that you did several types of of roles. You no, know, as you said, you, mm. you started in ISEC, which was more people focused. Then you mm-hmm. moved into the people area. Then you moved into marketing. Now you're kind of a BU head, which is sales. Uh, mm-hmm. You oversee their supply, etc. So quite interesting to see that you also mm-hmm. moved around into different types of roles, which I think I believe makes you much more well-rounded senior mm-hmm. leader if you're able to go through different roles. Yeah. Then if you try to go extremely fast in just one role, which I'm not saying mm-hmm. is bad, but it's a very different type of career, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, the chief people officer, uh, but a certain Dutch gentleman uh, who uh, came and spoke about pace. And I remember he showed Patricia Capel's pace, uh, which was a very popular pace to see. And, you know, after that, everybody would ask, who is Patricia Capel? Because, you yeah. know, you would see her pace. And her pace, you know, was amazing with this idea of a zigzag career where yeah. you don't just go vertically up in your field of expertise. And I remember at that time she was head of treasury because ultimately I did walk up to her and say, you know, I, I've heard about your pace and we used to have these bears on a Thursday evening in, uh, in Leuven at GHQ. So one of the days out of sheer curiosity, I walked up to her and I said, you know, I, I, I know about your career. I'd like to have a chat with you. Uh, and I, I, I remember what they said. While there's nothing wrong in growing vertically, there's merit in being able to think about moving along. I was always very fascinated with this idea of a company that promotes to its employees this idea of trying to experiment and get yourself out of the comfort zone in so many different ways, as, a, as opposed to many companies who would be very comfortable trying to create specialists and we love creating generalists because we feel that rounds them up better, to your point. Uh, uh, but requires a lot of patience and resilience because while you're moving zigzag, you know, yeah. Uh, you see other people moving up the ladder, so sometimes yeah, is a good test for you your bet. patience and your resilience. Great, very interesting career step. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the beer business. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, you've been in the business for a long time. Uh, you've worked internationally. Uh, you worked in India. So 
Let's talk a little bit about beer business in India because it's not an easy market, uh, mm -hmm. I assume. No, there's still some stigma left and right about you know, alcohol, alcohol business. People, for example, also from campus that mm -hmm. you know, have difficulty with their parents or family members saying, mm -hmm. are you sure an alcohol company is that the right place for you to build your career? How do you see today the challenges of, of the beer business in India? And, and let's talk a little bit about the future of uh, the beer business. Mm -hmm. Well, India's complexity of, you know, the many different complex rules and regulations that effectively govern 28 uh, states very differently from each other is not unique to us. Uh, you know, if you, if you look towards a North American business, United States uh, has a very similar complexity with every state having a different set of legal drinking age regulations, route to market, etc. I think what makes India really challenging is the unpredictability of operating a business here, or in other words, volatility. You don't mm -hmm. quite know what may happen on a Monday morning when you go to, uh, when you start your weekend. You know, you almost, uh, it might be, you know, slightly hyperbolic here, but you almost wake up on a Monday morning hoping against hope the world hasn't changed as far as your business is concerned. Uh, uh, the last four years on many a Monday mornings, the world did change. Uh, uh, and so I would say that the beer business or the Raja alcohol business is a tough one. But if a company has the right approach, the right mindset, we can make it work. Uh, uh, the future, which was the second part of your question, I, I suppose it's a difficult point with where we are right now to talk about the future with a great deal of optimism. But uh, uh, I'm an eternal optimist, so I, I, I think it comes naturally to me that I believe fundamentally uh, all of these things in the larger picture of India are merely speed bumps. Uh, what really changes is the perspective of the people looking at the change. In the longer scheme of things, if you stretch India out 10 to 15 years, it's a remarkable place to be doing business in. There's no disputing the fact that this is going to be one of the most important markets for AB and BEV in times to come. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a great perspective. Um, it, it basically also means that to be able to operate and to find your way of operating in such a complex market, you need to hire the best people. No? You need to hire people who are experts in their domain for the business there. But yeah, shorter term, there might be a lot of setbacks. So I need people with mm -hmm. you know, expertise, resilience. Because mm -hmm. One year can be extremely bad, right. whereas the next year could be, could be glorious. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah. I think that uh, in many ways, Serge, frames up you know, the lens through which we look at talent that we'd like to attract to our company. Exactly the, the descriptors you used, uh, people who uh, can, can get back up uh, even after getting knocked off uh, or knocked up pretty bad. Uh, people who don't uh, lose belief, uh, people who uh, really believe in, in building something and not just riding the wave. Uh, because at, at times, you know, when the going's good, India can be very good. Uh, and I've at times observed and we've experienced that. We, we, we hired talent who came in. Uh, you know, the moment the going got a little difficult, they were the first people to jump off because the wave kind of flattened out. Uh, then you see the people who stuck around despite the wave flattening out. They waited for the next big wave and they got even more growth and they got even more opportunities. So I, I think it has shaped who are the people we look for and what are the characteristics we look for in them as well. How do you see the beer business evolving still in the next couple of years? I see also we're doing quite some, some innovation. So can you give a little bit of context about... Sure. The, the strategy there from a consumer perspective. 
the the indian consumer uh, a has become more different while staying the same in, in many different ways uh, the more different part is many corporations like ourselves are now recognizing uh, the diversity of india and are starting to go so deep on the nuanced differences between the many different indias within india uh, whether it's rural india urban india within urban india there the urban poor there the urban rich there the urban aspirants and i think various corporations depending on their bouquet of products and the problems they're trying to solve uh, have sliced and diced india right down to the number of indias that that sometimes is difficult to put on a piece of paper uh, at the same time these differences of what they would like what they eat what they what they prefer in colors what they prefer in packaging what they prefer in the sizes of products they buy while these things have become more and more pronounced and different because corporations have realized there are so many differences they can play to there are also a remarkable number of similarities and that is indians first and foremost want to buy something they can trust uh needs to be high quality uh needs to be something that as we describe is value for money that doesn't mean it's cheap but it means we have a unique idea of deciphering what we call mental economic value i i look at something and i just know if this is worth the money i'm paying for which also makes us master bargainers uh and you know you tend to bargain for just about everything which is why india has these beautiful concept of open markets we just go and you keep negotiating uh i i think these similarities coupled with the very unique differences has created a remarkable opportunity for companies who can innovate very well by putting the consumer at the heart of everything mm. uh i i think about you know a, a brand like budweiser magnum where we decided many years ago that strong beers in india that over represent mild beers uh can never be a uh, a segment which would want premium offerings so all strong beers in india were what we call core priced uh at that time it would have been silly to think about a brand that will enter a plus 5% abv category but position it itself as a premium beer which is what budweiser magnum got positioned uh to today budweiser magnum is one of the best success stories we have in india of course beyond budweiser but if i just think of that as an innovation And, and you know it fills our heart with a great deal of pride that china today is launching budweiser magnum because we've uh-huh. we've seen you know the success of it over here and and there's a there's a point of view that that success can be replicated so i i think innovation is is a massive opportunity in india and your specific question on craft beers is just one subset of a larger set of innovations we could be driving uh seven rivers brew company is is one such innovation we kicked off uh and uniquely we decided that while it's important to have the products in the market we also thought there could be venues through which we build the brand and one of those venues was the taj brew pub that we pioneered uh, there're going to be many more coming up this year and in the following years we want to make sure abnbev is being true to the idea as category leaders to create and shape rather than just ride a wave overnight uh, so when we see a lot of companies come through and give offerings what we fundamentally don't see is sustainability in their offerings in in how they are thinking about evolving the category evolving the consumers to this new evolving category uh, and therefore we don't want to rush but we want to make sure we understand the consumer we give an offering that they would engage with for a longer period of time uh, and that's how we want to continue to evolve the beer category not by fly by night offerings but by really well thought out innovations that have a longer horizon yeah. and we also expanded into the non alcohol uh, right. sector right yeah. so curious to hear your your views on this cuz 
like a yeah. bus zero zero, who got a zero zero? Do you see them as a beer or do you see them more as a soft drink? Uh, I think it's a very fair assessment. Uh, and we've picked that up a lot in research as well. And that's one of the, the limiting factors of research. Uh, you, you know, Henry Ford had said back in the day, if I asked people what they really wanted, they would have told me they wanted faster horses. Uh, so you don't always do what consumers tell you to do through an insight. Uh, and the story was not very different. I mean, many people in research told us, I mean, it's so funny. If What are you even asking? If, if I want to drink alcohol, I'll drink a product which has alcohol. Why would I drink a beverage that is fundamentally an alcohol, but without the benefits of alcohol? And uh, that's the best articulation people could give to us. What we, however, saw and read between what people were not saying is that these same consumers have so many occasions uh, when they want to go out for a good night out with their friends, but the occasion may limit their ability to engage with alcohol, either because they are the designated driver or uh, maybe somebody you know is uh, going through a period where they are uh, paying respect to a festival, a religious festival, and they've chosen to abstain from alcohol during that period. And we realized that these are occasions with alcohol drinkers where non-alcoholic beer could play a role. I'm not saying something mighty insightful because we've seen this play out the world over. Uh, and so when we looked at non-alcoholic beer surge, we kind of started first with consumers who are already drinking alcohol, but may not always want to drink alcohol. And there are occasions where non-alcoholic beer mm. could play a role. For example, when you're flying domestically. Uh, and one of the reasons that partnership with Indigo went so well, and at a certain point search, uh, Budweiser 0.0 was selling, outselling Coca-Cola on Indigo flights. Right. Uh, because that's a classic example. I've got a two and a half hour flight from Delhi to Bombay. I sure as hell like a beverage that doesn't have so much sugar in it. And maybe it's not for me, but I'd like my favorite beer, but just without the alcohol, because it's okay. And I, I see that in my own interactions with consumers. So it's an exciting space because when you think about non-alcoholic beverages, first of all, you have 6 million points of sale and not 60,000. So it's a very different scale. Uh, and suddenly you don't have you know, 25 million people that potentially make up your core target group, you now have potentially 350 million people, which is the middle class of India, that could potentially be your target group, right? So it's a very different size of price if we reframe the opportunity. Great. Very good to hear. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I think last topic I wanted to briefly discuss with you is the COVID pandemic you know, that we've had over the last uh, almost year and a half now. Um, curious to, to hear how did our business in India, you know, go through this, this tough time. Because India for sure has been one of the hardest hits. And I think our business has been one of the hardest hits around the world with lockdowns, uh, full lockdowns, you know, the nationwide last year, now uh, state-wise and, and city-wise. Uh, how do you mm -hmm. see, you know, our business and our customers and our suppliers surviving throughout this, uh, this pandemic? Mm -hmm. and, and, and how are you as a, as a business trying to, to support customers and, and suppliers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, the, the COVID pandemic, I think, is a, is a tale of absolutely two different uh, uh, realities from the wave one to the, to the second wave. I, I think the first wave was tough because of the sheer jerk to the system or shock to the system we got with that, you know, almost 45-day lockdown last summer where uh, there was no precedent to such sort of a, a national mm -hmm. lockdown. And I, I think our big focus at that time 
was certainly the safety and security of our people because we just knew what was happening in many of the other countries. Uh, and many countries had already experienced Italy being a case in point, China being another, before India really saw uh, a COVID surge like the one we saw. But we also equally, along with keeping our people safe, were focusing on business recovery, trying to see what do we make of a business that really came down to a grinding halt. No. Uh, when I think about, uh, you know, the, the actions we took at that time, the actions were, let's make sure our people uh, are put, you know, in a safe place as far as their work environment is concerned. So get them out of the office, get them out of the market, put a lot of distance in the mm -hmm. breweries, only minimal staff that's required to run. And there was this mindset of, uh, you know, safety with a lot of caution because you don't quite know where this, how, how this virus is evolving, right? And we knew mm -hmm. very little then compared to what we know today. Uh, the focus was also on, you know, wherever we were seeing opportunities, we were trying to maximize because a certain state had lesser COVID uh, cases. So breweries were functioning and markets were functioning. Oh. And as COVID started to go a little slower and slower towards October, November, December, our focus started to shift towards supporting customers and coming back to their business a lot faster, helping them in whatever way we can, as well as outreach to our communities. When I compare the second surge, I think one of the most significant differences, and you and I have spoken about it when we were trying to collaborate on how to, oh. how to step up and support our community, is that uh, lives uh, suddenly became uh, a lot more unpredictable uh, because of the intensity of the COVID spread, uh, the absolute spread across age groups because it was no longer affecting only older people. We've seen how many young people have in fact lost their lives. And of course, the environment that got created as a consequence was of fear and, and anxiousness. Uh, and what we have what we have sensed this time, which was not the case last time, is while you did not have this lock stock national lockdown where, where planes were shut down and trains were shut down, uh, and you have these mini lockdowns, is that irrespective of whether the country was shut or open, you have people living with a very significant amount of fear in their mind about what happens if COVID happens to them and you don't even have a hospital bed uh, to go to irrespective of your means. Uh, so our focus this time has been more on mental well-being, making sure our employees feel safe, that the company is there for them by way of providing many different resources, including opportunities at work to truly switch off if they would like. Uh, recently, we piloted the idea of, you know, uh, two days in a month where employees can choose to take, to do nothing but tend to their personal self. Uh, we've looked at opportunities where, you know, and you know, in, in very strong collaboration with you uh, and what you've driven at GCC Surge, this idea of providing a lot of consultants that people can speak to about the problems they're facing, whether they're mental health experts, uh, doctors on call. Uh, but equally, in the more recent past, what we've done by stepping up and supporting the government with what they need the most, uh, oxygen, uh, supporting rural India, where COVID has indeed spread this time, unlike last time, uh, and provided support in the form of food, uh, what we're doing now, which I think is remarkable, and uh, I think we're one amongst the very few companies who've taken that first mover step uh, to go out there, procure vaccines, and ultimately vaccinate our people because that's the best opportunity we have to, to save their lives and to make them a little more comfortable with the idea that they may not get COVID with the same intensity that some of the non-vaccinated people tend to get it. Uh, and ultimately, we're trying now to extend this opportunity of vaccination even to our trade partners. Uh, and, you know, we're already looking at Delhi and Bangalore as two places, followed by Bombay, 
where we will hold camps for our trade partners, just like we're doing in all our breweries. We're not distinguishing between our temporary labor uh, force as well as our, our own employees. We're vaccinating everyone. And uh, we hope that we can continue to expand the scope of this vaccination drive uh, to our suppliers as well, uh, wherever the possibility arises. So we're taking a lot of steps to procure a lot of vaccines uh, and offer this as an opportunity to play our part in safeguarding the future of our ecosystem. Uh, uh, very, when you talk it through again, I'm very proud of everything that uh, you know, we did as a company, I think last year, but even more, even more this year, it was very tough. Mm -hmm. The second wave, as you said, and uh, was a bit of an emotional moment last week when we saw all our employees going through the vaccination Absolutely. drives. No, it was amazing yeah. to see everybody going through the vaccination because it gives us a little bit of a relief mm -hmm. that you know our families and our employees are now more safe. You know, uh, mm. okay, we need to take the second dose, of course, still, but at least there's like a first ray of hope that uh, that we're going to be better off in in the future. So, absolutely great. One last question, uh, Kartik. So the yes. name of this, this podcast is I Wish My Boss Told Me That. So mm. let's close with one lesson, one career lesson that you have learned anywhere throughout your career and yeah. that you would wish your boss would have told you early on in your career. You probably have a lot of them, but... Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's... one uh, you pick? That's... Uh... I wish that's the one thing I thought of, which is a bit silly given the, given the title of your podcast. Uh, but I, as I think this through, uh, you, you know, I've had the pleasure of some remarkable people and leaders in, in the company, many of you, many of whom I, I know you know. Uh, but uh, I, I think I'd probably go with, with Miguel Patricio, uh, who I had the pleasure of, of working with very closely. Uh, I had the pleasure of his mentorship, uh, you know, when uh, uh, when he was the zone president of APAC, later CMO, and had many yeah. opportunities to work with him very closely. And I very fondly remember uh, we were all together in, in, in Brazil around the World Cup, uh, one year actually before the World Cup, or eight months before the World Cup, because the marketing community had come together to do a dry run of how do we want to win the World Cup. Uh, this is yeah. the one that took place in Brazil. We were at this hotel, Pestana, uh, you know, on Copa, Copacabana in, in Rio. Uh, and, and Miguel and I, uh, on the last day, you know, after a lot of badgering, I said, I, I want to have a beer, you know, let's sit down. I want to talk to you about so many things. So we found an art. And uh, I, I remember going through that interaction. It was a remarkable interaction towards the end uh, is what I'd like to quote here as I think through maybe the most profound advice I've had. Uh, I, it was... It was, of course, a period in my career where, where I was a little unsure of which way my career is going or should go, and I needed some advice. Uh, and I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I, I, I wasn't too sure how to go about it. So I, I recall having this amazing conversation with Miguel, who's probably one of the most people-focused leaders I've come across in our company. Uh, and towards the end, he said, hey, there's one thing I hope you take away from this conversation uh, is never ever assume uh, something in your career uh, without actually validating it. Uh, and the best way you can validate that is walk up to your, to your boss, your line manager, to whoever mentors you, for example, and simply ask. Uh, and I walked up to him, by the way, in that interaction, and I asked him for this role I wanted to do. Uh, 
And uh, it, it was a moment of braveness, maybe because I had had a couple of Budweisers with him, and I said, <laughs> "I should probably do it." Miguel, I really want to do that job, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm cut out for it. And he he laughed towards the end, and he said, uh, "When I told him, you know, there was a there was a real chance I was not going to have this, this catch up with you." And and he said, "I hope you take this away and you pass it on to other people as well. That uh, you you know you're you're going to miss a lot of opportunities in your life if you just assume uh, that it's yeah. a no." before you even ask and you'll be surprised how many times you'll get a yes uh, and even if it's a no it's never an absolute no it's a no with guidance and direction if you are working with the right people and they'll tell you what you need to do to get to the yes in your life yeah. uh, i have held it very close to my heart i never assume things now i just walk up ask uh, whether it is for advice whether it is for a career opportunity or whether it is for you know uh, a disagreement and a change of direction if needed uh, i don't just assume that the other person already would be in a certain place uh, and i no. think that's what i'd like to share here for your listeners if it helps them in any way to never ever assume but just walk up and ask no. and you'll be surprised no. what you hear oh very good man very it sounds very simple but it is something that a lot of us are not aware of that we make assumptions that it yeah. means something is not going to happen no this person will not uh, you know uh, Yeah, like me, or this person will not support me left or right. Yeah, don't make the assumption. Just go out there, ask, and and yeah. get the feedback. Great one, yeah. great story, by the way. Great story. Thank you. Good. Thank you very much, Kartik, for uh, joining us here in this uh, episode. Some uh, great insights into your career, beer industry. Um, so thanks a lot for joining. Uh, stay safe, and uh, hope to see you soon. Not sure when, but I hope to see you later this year, still in a bar, and we can share a Budweiser and uh, and catch yeah. up. Yeah. No, absolutely, Serge. I think uh, uh, one of our beautiful craft beers at the Seven Rivers Brew Pub would be an ideal setting. And I know That's you've it. been there, so you know what a beautiful place that is. Uh, but thank you once again for what you've been doing. I think to inspire a whole generation of talents here in India and elsewhere in the ABI network as well. I think this is a great service you are doing as a leader trying to bring other leaders together and get people to hear their more uh closely guarded insights because we don't quite do this very often uh no. and and i do think it's quite inspiring how you are playing this role in being able to uh, influence the future of so many generations that uh, so many talents that could benefit from this in their own careers so thank no. you for having me really nice all right man you. thanks a lot thanks, thanks for the kind words thank you thanks, so sir. to our listeners Thanks for uh, dialing in again today. I hope you enjoyed this session. So please share the uh, episode with your friends, your colleagues, and uh, tune in for the next episode. Cheers.